Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to This Is Your Normal. I am your host, Bob Holmes. How did you sleep last night? Did you wake up feeling normal? Knowing what is normal is important to getting good sleep. In this episode, we will hear from Dr. Michael Neeb. Dr. Neeb is the former Regional Director of Sleep Services for Mercy Health in Northwest Ohio and former Adjunct Professor of Sleep Technology at Mercy College of Northwest Ohio. He received his Ph.D. in Clinical Psychology from the University of Delaware and completed his internship in Behavioral Medicine at John Hopkins Hospital. Dr. Neeb is board certified by the American Board of Sleep Medicine with a second board certification in behavioral sleep medicine. His clinical interests include insomnia, circadian rhythm disorders and sleep, pediatric sleep, and public safety. Please enjoy this episode of This Is Your Normal. Hello, Dr. Michael Neeb. Thank you for joining me today on This Is Your Normal. Thanks, Bob. Pleasure to be here. Nice to see you again. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to see you. I appreciate you taking some time out today. Uh, we're going to be talking about sleep today. That is your profession. My profession, and it seems to be a favorite topic of many, many people. So, Yes. So as you know, um, I'm, I am a firefighter. Uh, that's my full-time job, and I work 24-hour shifts. So uh, sleep deprivation <clears throat> is part of my lifestyle. And uh, I know any time that I meet you in passing, I'm definitely trying to get some sleep hints out of you. So uh, here we are today. Uh, we're going to do a whole podcast about sleep. Um, if you would like to, could you tell me a little bit about yourself, um, how you got started in the sleep business? Well, I am a uh, clinical psychologist by my original training. I went to uh, I'm a Toledo resident, uh, started out at Central Catholic High School. Uh, from there, I went to Bowling Green. And uh, from there, I went to the University of Delaware to uh, do my graduate training in psychology. Uh, did my internship after that at Johns Hopkins Hospital in, in Baltimore. And it was at that point that I got first exposure to uh, the world of sleep. But, um, and this is kind of a uh, interesting story uh, as to how I got in, because I got into the world of sleep through the back door, Bob. Mm. And by that, I mean the following. And I don't usually tell everybody this, but I'll tell you. Thank you. Uh, so I started out as a sex therapist Oh. Uh, back in the beginning of my career. And I was dealing with uh, male erectile dysfunction. And there was a, um, a research project uh, where we attempted to discern uh, whether or not erectile dysfunction was psychological in nature or physiological in nature. And the way you do that, or I should say the way you did that back in the old days here, which was the early 1980s, was to measure and monitor erections that men have during sleep. All men have erections during sleep, during a certain stage of sleep called REM sleep. And if in fact you're having normal uh, erections during sleep, then uh, the problem must be psychological uh, during the daytime hours. If in fact your nighttime erections are missing um, or are impaired in some way, then you're looking at more of a physiological problem. So that's how I started in the world of sleep. And so we would do that. And that test went on for a good 20 years in sleep centers until the arrival of uh, Viagra in the early 1990s, in which case people really didn't care whether the problem was physical or psychological. Mm. because One pill took care of everything. Yeah. And uh, 
so that faded and I figured I'd better learn something more about sleep because uh, that part of my career was coming to a quick uh, halt. Wow. And uh, so I started to learn more about sleep and I was invested in sleep centers. And uh, then I learned about uh, the world of sleep and sleep disorders and continued on that for another 30 years after that. Wow. That's yeah, uh, brought you by surprise there, didn't it? A little bit, a little bit. And I understand why that probably doesn't come up much. <laughs> <laughs> I usually wait till I tell people that story. But uh, Well, we started off with that. <laughs> Good way to start things. Uh, well, but that fits into this is uh, this is your normal. I mean, that's uh, that's part of your norm and who you are and how you yeah. developed what you got into and whatnot. So this is going to be the probably the hardest question I'm going to ask you during this interview. Okay. What is sleep? That's tough. And you would think that as a sleep expert, and I have been doing this for almost 40 years now, that I'd have something on the tip of my tongue. I'm not sure I do. Um, if I remember back on uh, certain lectures that I've attended, they, they talk about sleep being an altered state of consciousness with a disengaged uh, perceptual disengagement from the environment. So what's that mean? Well, it means that um, there is a lack of consciousness that we have during the daytime hours and that our, our brain's ability to tune out sights, sounds, uh, other stimuli coming in is essentially cut up. So we're perceptually disengaged from the environment that uh, we're lying in. And uh, from there though, the interesting point is the assumption used to be that, that you went into a stage of sleep and nothing happened. And one of the major things that we now know about sleep is that when you close your eyes and fall asleep, there's a lot of activity that takes place in your brain and your body. So you are disengaged from the environment, but there's an awful lot of stuff going on uh, that's uh, important for your uh, uh, physical and your uh, psychological well-being. Gotcha. I think we'll get a little bit more into that. But what I'm thinking is a two-part question, I guess, why is sleep important and when did we start really paying attention to sleep? When did we start figuring out that we don't just close our eyes and then we wake up? Well, it's interesting. You asked me earlier, you know, how I got involved in the world of sleep. Um, when I got involved in the world of sleep, which basically puts us back to the late 1970s, was really the start of, of much of what we know these days about sleep. Okay, so I got in at the, at the, at the very, not the very beginning, um, but I got into the early stages of, of sleep medicine. If we look back, there's, there's research that was being done back in the 20s and the 30s. Uh, big emergence of things happened in the 1950s when we started to be able to use technology to know what's going on inside the body and the brain during sleep. So that was the development of EEGs, uh, brainwave activities we could start to, to uh, take a closer look at. Uh, that happened in the 1950s. That's when... REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep was first discovered. Um, and from there, we got much more sophisticated about what the heck sleep is and what goes on when we sleep at night. Um, so really things took off in the 70s and you can hardly not pick up an article or a paper or a magazine these days when there's not some uh, article about sleep, how to get good sleep, the importance of sleep and things like that. So since the 1970s, 1980s, it's just skyrocketed and I was nicely along for the ride. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, these days, it's become, uh, you know, quite uh, the issue in terms of, of medicine and the importance of, of health in general. And, and what's really happened is not only do we understand sleep, but we understand the consequences of 
poor sleep or lack of sleep. Lack uh, of sleep. And that and that has just been a step by step layering of of uh, knowledge of, of what are the consequences of of poor sleep. And by that I mean, you know, we started out by uh, rather simplistically. Uh, poor sleep or inadequate sleep is not good for something like uh, blood pressure. Okay? Your blood pressure goes down during sleep. So if you're not getting enough sleep, your blood pressure is not getting a chance to rest for eight hours per day, for example, and that causes problems. But, but that's, we started with things like blood pressure and then we started to see the connection to our immune system and diabetes and uh, overall cardiovascular function. And, and then we went into uh, cognitive issues and how it helps with memory and attention and concentration and how it might be involved in dementia and Alzheimer's. So it's just been a snowball effect over the last 30 years uh, that gets us to the point now of saying, <laughs> we all better be paying attention to this thing. It's as equally as important as nutrition and exercise and, and those key elements of, of good health. Right. In correspondence with you um, in previous emails, Number one, you kind of already touched on the one part of uh, why I wanted to reach out to you is there is a lot of sleep information out there. I think you, every day you turn on, uh, say, Good Morning America, there's some sort of sleep specialist saying, turn your electronics off, uh, stay away from the blue light, get eight hours of sleep. And my question to you was, is that really all there is? Like, is it is it really that simple? Because it doesn't seem like that to me. And part two is... I think it's important to mention uh, previous episodes of This Is Your Normal has been more about personal transformation and people breaking the norms where you specialize in getting people back to a normal. Right. Yeah. And you and I, you and I had some, some prior conversations about this. And, and, you know, I was kind of struck with, OK, well, how do I weave this into to Bob's main main themes here? Because much of my job is to kind of take people who are in the, let's call it non-normal range of sleep mm -hmm. and, and put them into the normal range of sleep. Because when you allow yourself to linger in, in you know, chronic conditions of, of poor sleep or sleep deprivation, you're asking for, for trouble in some way. Um, but I use the term, you know, getting people back into the range of normal because mm -hmm. I think there's something different about sleep than there is about some other medical um, testing. And by that, I mean, if you go to a doctor and they do a blood draw, and for example, uh, they check your blood glucose level, okay? So your blood glucose level should be between 75 and 125, right? There's a range, mm -hmm. 75, 125, okay? And any given day, yours will vary a little bit. And obviously yours will different from somebody else who's, who's having the same test. One of the things we hear about sleep is that you should get eight hours of sleep, right? So the question then becomes, well, what's a range of, of the normal amount of sleep that people should be getting? And that range is, let's, it's a normal distribution. Eight is an average, okay? But it's probably a normal range of somewhere between seven to nine. Mm -hmm. So we, we need to start considering. There are people that do just fine on six hours of sleep. Not a lot of people, but there Elon are Elon Musk has been known to Musk, only yes. get six hours. Yeah. Uh, our, uh, our recent former president claimed that he only needed four to five hours of sleep per night. Wow. Yes. Um, so, and then there are people who need nine or 10. So there's people we call naturally short sleepers and people we call naturally long sleepers. So I think that's important when we start talking about what's normal to realize that it's not eight hours on, on the dot. Okay. It's some range in there. 
with the following caveats. Okay, if you're getting enough sleep, you will fall asleep generally easily. You'll wake up okay. I don't believe anybody wakes up happy anymore. <laughs> you're doing this for, for 30 years. I don't, nobody wakes up easily or happy. The, the key then is, you know, do you, are you productive during your daytime hours? Uh, do you struggle with sleepiness? Are you able to stay awake throughout the entirety of your day and, and be productive and be attentive to, to what's going on around you? And if so, then that pretty much determines, you know, the adequacy of how much sleep you're getting. So it's, uh, it's and, more and of like a functionality question? Yes, it is. Um, it's a matter of, you know, can I, can I watch a, a two-hour movie without, without dozing off? Um, can I get through uh, a, a boring meeting at work with, without embarrassing myself? Uh, you know, those are the things. Do I have enough energy to play with my kids? Mm-hmm. Those are the questions to be asking yourself. A lot of other ones, I'm sure, as well. But those are the questions to be asking to determine whether or not you're getting enough sleep. We also have the question of quality of sleep, but I don't need to take that deep dive right at the minute, right okay. at this minute. But you can get eight hours of sleep, but if it's crappy sleep, you know, you're still going to have trouble uh, functioning throughout your day. What about nappers? I'm all about naps. And um, my wife does not nap. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, and, and I'm kind of, you're starting to make sense to me here uh, where I'm thinking like, oh, okay. So her range of normal sleep is definitely different than my range of normal sleep. But I I must say, I love naps. So <laughs> our naps, um, I guess that's just the different thing. Like some people are nappers, some people are not. Well, I, it's yeah. usually around like two or three I am completely exhausted. What's that all about? Well, that is fascinating. Okay, first of all, someone who's on a uh, schedule, work schedule, sleep schedule that you're on uh, needs to be grabbing sleep when they can get it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, you don't, you have a crazy, for you, you know that I know the schedule. My father was a fireman. My father was a fire chief of Toledo. Right. I lived as a child in that family, so I know the days uh, where dad's gone and the days where dad's recovering and getting trying to get some sleep around mm-hmm. the house. So you need to catch it when you can, and and that's a struggle. the The issue of what's going on in the mid afternoon is fascinating. Okay, and this is one of my favorite topics in sleep. What goes on in the mid afternoon around two o'clock, three o'clock? is a function of what we call circadian rhythms. Okay. And circadian rhythms are rhythms that develop in your body that tell it when to be awake and when to be asleep. Um, most people have a rhythm that around 10 or 11 o'clock at night, they start to get drowsy and they fall asleep. And, and this is all chemically, hormonally determined. So it's all, it's all very real. It exists at the level of uh, certain brain uh, components, but also at a cellular level. Individual cells have timing mechanisms within them that that turn off and turn on over the course of the day. So most people will fall asleep uh, in the 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock hour. And most people will wake up in the morning hours around seven, eight, something like that. Your body is secreting certain hormones. Your cortisol level, for example, starts to turn on again at about five in the morning. And that's, that's a wake-up agent. And so the body is telling the body, wake up, wake up, wake up. Does a very good job uh, throughout the morning hours, gets us to noon and lunch, and we're supposed to be wide awake, and we are. In the mid-afternoon, about 2 o'clock, some of those things shut down, and there is a natural dip in alertness and a natural increase in sleepiness around 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm a clinical psychologist, and part of what I do have done in my career is therapy with patients. 
you probably don't want to be my patient at three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> it is hard to stay awake. It is hard to listen to people talk. And, and I know that as a sleep person. And so I kind of adjusted my schedule around it and generally wouldn't schedule much in, in that hour. And if I was going to schedule something, it'd be something where I'm standing on my feet, walking around doing that kind of work rather than sitting passively mm -hmm. at a desk or listening uh, to someone speak to me. So, so that's a natural phenomenon. That's not a sign of abnormal sleep or bad sleep. Okay. That's a natural phenomenon. Yours is, is compounded by your shift work disorder. But even people who have a normal nighttime schedule um, still uh, will experience this mid-afternoon dip. Okay. Now, I'll, I'll get slightly personal here to, to, to make a point. Um, all, my, all my years on the job, I got up about 6.30 in the morning. Now I'm retired and I still get up at 6 because my body has that rhythm deeply okay. ingrained in it. So even though I say to myself, and I should not say this because I'm a smart sleep person, <laughs> I'm going to sleep until nine tomorrow morning. It never happens. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm up at 6.30, 6.45. But since I am retired, I do like my mid-afternoon nap, okay, which I never had the luxury of taking. So I'm with you at about three o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, I don't mind taking a nap for a half hour or an hour because it, uh, it refreshes me for the rest of the day. And that's uh, a luxury of, of retired people. <laughs> or 24 hour shift workers. Exactly. Um, now the problem I, with 24 hour shift workers, people like yourself is that your body can't find its way into a normal rhythm because mm -hmm. one day you're doing this and the next day you're doing that. Mm -hmm. and that's the problem with shift workers. In my, in my work with shift workers, people who are on, always on the night shift, for example, they, um, they have a schedule, let's say Monday through Friday, where they work at night and sleep during the day. And then they have two days off and they revert back to sleeping at night and staying awake during the day. So your body never really gets fixed into a, uh, a consistent rhythm. And so they often walk around in a state of kind of a mixture of sleep and wake. I, I know that very well. <laughs> Trouble staying awake during the day and problems sleeping at night or during the day when you're trying to sleep. A brief interjection. After the interview, Dr. Neeb and I continued to have a nap conversation, and he shared this valuable piece of information. Quote, regarding naps, the amount of sleep from a daytime nap plus the amount of sleep at nighttime should equal the seven to eight hour daily requirement for sleep. In other words, if you're getting a one to two hour nap during the day, don't expect to get a full eight hours at night. The human body simply doesn't need that much sleep. End quote. And back to the nap topic. I'm thinking about uh, the nap thing really quick. I know that we've talked about this before with there actually is an appropriate nap time, like yes. length, your duration of naps is actually very important. And the reason I say this is because if I sleep too long, sort of say, like if, if, if it was a full 24 hour shift, I, we hit, we were up all night. There's no yeah. chance to sleep. I go home. I take that nap. I'm, I may sleep for three, four hours and I am a complete zombie. Mm -hmm. And what I've attested that to is that I actually slept. My nap was too long. If that does that make sense? Should I be not saying that or? 
Uh, no, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky thing. Um, when we talk about this issue of the length of sleep, we need to first talk about what we call sleep cycles. When a person sleeps at night, um, they go through various stages of sleep. First light transitional stage is called stage one. It's not really good for much. It gets us into what's called stage two, which is a, a decent stage of sleep, which predominates for uh, most of the night in, uh, uh, in adults. If we're lucky, we go down to what's called stage three, which is the deep sleep that we all long for. Uh, if you have children, you know deep sleep because they fall asleep in the car and you can pick them up and, and take them upstairs and have them pee in the toilet and put them in bed and they don't wake up throughout the whole process. Mm -hmm. That's deep sleep. Um, if you hope to get much of that these days, stop, stop uh, hoping for that because it, it fades as we age. Oh, um, I didn't know that. <laughs> then we go into the first next stage of sleep, which is called REM sleep. We go up a little bit back into stage two and we go into REM sleep, which is when, which is when we dream. So from the beginning of putting our heads on the pillow to going through that cycle to the first stage of REM is a, is a sleep cycle that normally lasts about 90 minutes. Okay. So nap time should take that into consideration. All right? So like a 90 minute nap then would be perfect. Okay, because it takes you through the various stages down through the depths of sleep and up towards the lighter stages of sleep, which are easy to wake from. So two points here. The first one is that what you don't want to do is get up at like the 30 minute mark because the 30 minute mark puts you at the deepest sleep you're going to have. And that's an awful feeling where you question, why did I, why did I even lay down? I feel worse than when I started been there many times. Yes. Okay. So, so look at 90 minute cycles. Okay. So 90 minutes is a good length. Someone who's really trying to catch up and sleep during the daytime, like you might be 180 minutes is good. Okay. okay. Something like that. Um, and the other point that I wanted to make, because it, it comes into my mind when we talk about REM sleep, people often make the mistake of thinking that REM sleep is deep sleep and it's not. Okay. okay. REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. It's when we dream. It's a very decent stage of sleep, occupies about 20, 25% of our night, but it's very easy to wake somebody up from REM sleep. It's very easy to wake somebody up from a dream. Um, when we talk about the depth of, depth of sleep, we're talking about being very difficult to wake somebody up. So that's okay. what we call stage three, that's deep sleep. REM sleep, very important, but not terribly deep. If we look at... Um, the functions of sleep, if we look at this non-REM stuff that I'm talking about, stage one, two, three, mm -hmm. good for physiological replenishment. Um, it's good for biological functions, okay? Cardiovascular function, our gut, our kidney function. It's good for those type of things. When we talk about REM sleep, it's good for your brain. Okay. For cognitive function, memory, concentration, attention, things of that sort. So when would be the worst time to wake up? The worst time to wake up is in the depth of, of deep sleep, of only deep because sleep. it's so profound and there's a lot of uh, slow wave activity taking place in your brain that just, you go through what we call period of um, sleep drunkenness, which is like, it takes you a while to really find yourself awake again. Uh, yeah. it's, like, it's like when the phone rings in the middle of the night, early in the night after you've been asleep for an hour or so, mm -hmm. and you don't know what day it is, and you're not sure who you're talking to, um, and things like that. It takes 10 minutes, 15 minutes to kind of really get your brain back into a wake pattern. I gotcha. I, I mean, 
just personally, I've been just from my, my career, like I've been woken up in <laughs> every stage and oh, I've, I've experienced all sure. these things. So I'm just sure. kind of personalizing it in my head. Well, and it's particularly true. I mean, particularly important for, for firemen because you, you are allowed to sleep, but mm-hmm. then you get um, waken, awakened abruptly and are expected to operate quickly and be clear mind and able-bodied on a dime. Yeah. And then sometimes it's, it's very difficult sometimes where you're, you're telling yourself, come on, come on, like, let's yeah. come on, think, think, think <laughs> like you're trying to. Right. Um, and, and, and that's why, that's why it, you know, it puts people at risk for um, accidents and injuries, because if you're not thinking clearly, but you're being expected to perform some function, uh, you know, it gets into uh, a risky territory. All, I know that all too much, but uh, <laughs> we can move on. Um, we've talked about my favorite thing, which we discovered was naps. <laughs> we've got that. Now we're at the point, what really should we be looking for? You mentioned it's like falling asleep. You said 30 minutes. If it takes you 30 minutes to fall asleep, that's okay? Yeah. I mean, and that's where, Bob, I think we get back to the concept of normal. Um as, as, as I've said already, okay, I've been doing this for 35, 40 years. And part of my job has always been to educate people on the importance of sleep. That's, that's mm-hmm. what I'm doing today. That's what I've done for years. Um, I somehow think that maybe we sleep people have possibly made things worse for mm-hmm. some people. And by that, I mean, we've heightened the importance of sleep so much that now there's anxiety around this idea of, well, what if I'm not getting enough sleep? oh my God, what's going to happen to me? I'm going to have a heart attack. I'm going to have a stroke. I'm going to die. I'm going to be demented. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Those things develop after years and years of, of chronic sleep problems. Um, but you know they don't develop overnight. It's not a, uh, a short-term process or a short-term consequence. So when we talk about sleep, I think it's important to emphasize some of the things that are in fact normal. Because when if something happened that's normal, but you think it's abnormal, then, then you're just going to worry about it. Mm-hmm. We all worry about those things in our life that aren't going smoothly. Um, and so let me give an example. Uh, as you just said, and this caught me by surprise when I first got in the field of sleep, but the, the research tells us that it's anywhere up to 30 minutes should be considered as normal uh, as the amount of time it takes to fall asleep at night. Okay, now that seemed a little long to me because mm-hmm. I guess I'm fortunate enough to fall asleep most nights within five minutes, but a lot of people are not. Um, so let's say that you don't know that fact and it takes you 15 minutes to fall asleep and you start thinking there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. The more you think there's something wrong with me or I'm abnormal in yeah. some way, the more you're going to have layer an anxiety component on top of that, which only serves to make matters worse. And in this case, serves to prolong the amount of time it takes to fall asleep. So knowing what's normal is important um, when it comes to to getting good sleep. And it doesn't mean that everybody's gonna be identical. Again, when we talk about normality, we're talking about a range of normal. Everything that happens in in a sleep study, for example, comes with a variable, a statistic, and, and then in my world, there's a normative range around that statistic. So how long does it take the patient to fall asleep? How much REM sleep did they have? How many awakenings occurred during the night? There's always a statistic and a range around that. Um, and it's important for people not to know all the nitty gritty details uh, that I might know, 
um, but to know somewhat about what's normal so they don't panic and think that they're abnormal. It's normal for people to have two or three significant awakenings during the night. Right? By significant awakenings, I mean enough that you recognize that you're awake, you're grabbing a glass of water for a drink, you're pulling up a blanket to stay warm, you're going to the bathroom. Those are important variables because if you, if you think this is weird, this is bad, this is, this is wrong that I'm waking up like this, then it only serves to, again, create more anxiety, which makes it more difficult to fall back to sleep. Some people worry that they're not remembering their dreams. People, uh, actually, that, that, that's almost a good sign because to remember a dream often takes waking up during the dream in order to encode it into your memory, that's mm -hmm. to make it available to you the next day to, to recall. And uh, if you're not remembering your dreams, it could be that you're just dreaming right through it, not awakening, and uh, it's happening, but you're just not aware of it, which is actually a good thing because it means you're solidly asleep during that period of time. So, so these are the things that people worry about and and the other thing as we already said you know how i worry that i'm that i'm really sleepy at three o'clock in the afternoon yep everybody is yep. <laughs> so don't worry about it and the interesting thing about that just to jump back a second is that it passes you don't have to do anything okay and it passes all right so you just ride the wave you ride the wave you ride the wave now because countless times I would be in my office at, at four o'clock thinking, oh my God, just get me home so I can have a nap. And then I leave my office at 5.30, I drive home, I'm home at six o'clock and I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go for the rest of the night, I'm fine. You just need to get through it. And you know the natural circadian rhythm kicks back in action and promotes wakefulness for the rest of the evening. What are your thoughts about caffeine? Should I be grabbing a cup of coffee? Like if I know I don't have an opportunity to take a nap, should I be having that afternoon cup of coffee or should I bypass that? It, it really depends on what you have to do. Okay. And, and I'm not, I'm not an expert in terms of the physiological consequences of too much caffeine. Okay. okay? I mean, there's a lot out there, but I, I don't purport to be an expert on that. So, you know, if three o'clock in the afternoon comes and you've got to go pick up your kids from school and, and you're carpooling and you got a, you know, a car of, of, three or four kids that you're responsible for, I'd say have a cup of coffee before you leave the house mm -hmm. right, to maintain uh, your alertness throughout that process. If you're going to stay home and you really don't have much on your plate and you're going to do some gardening in the backyard, that's rather relaxing and, and you know, you're in motion anyway, I'd say skip it. You know, you really don't need okay. it at that point. Something like that. Good point. Um, you mentioned dreams. There are many times that I wake up I, I don't want to say wake up. I'm consciously aware that I'm dreaming. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I fall back asleep. Sometimes it actually wakes me up because it was an interesting thought or dream happening. And <laughs> here I am wide awake. What is that good, bad? What's, what's going on there? Um, I guess it's neither here, neither here nor there, neither okay. good nor bad. Um, you know, it, it all depends on whether it truly shortens the amount of sleep that you get. Okay. If you wake up, because the, the dream is so interesting and you want to process it or you want to write it down. Um, and that's signals the end of your night and you're yeah. only an hour or five. Okay. Then that's a problem. But if it's something that you can wake up and then roll over and uh, fall back to sleep and, and get the remaining couple hours that you're entitled to, then it's not, not that big of a deal. So um, I wouldn't put it in the good or bad category. It's kind of individually determined. Okay. Okay. What about, disorders. Oh, you know what? I was going to write it down. There was this 
extreme number of sleep disorders I was surprised by that I had heard in this one statistic. Could you ballpark it? I mean, I can ballpark it uh, to something that I remember uh, 10 years ago, which was there were 88 sleep disorders that okay. were identified by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. There may be more at this point. Okay. There was, okay. There's a new nosology, new diagnostic manual that came out several years ago. And I don't think I've counted them up since then. So okay. we're probably in the, in the ballpark of about a hundred different. Okay. Disorders. We'll stick around the 88 range. Do you okay. have a favorite? A favorite. I love the circadian rhythm disorders that I talked about earlier. Um, I love insomnia. Uh, it tends to be my specialty. Um, I think that circadian disorders are fascinating. And there's two basic kinds. It kind of gets back to your, your issue of normality. Um, the first one, which is more prominent, is called a delayed phase disorder. And a delayed phase disorder are people who prefer and are biologically wired to fall asleep at like two or three in the morning and then wake up at 11 or, or noon mm -hmm. uh, in the morning. The interesting part there is that they feel broken. They feel defective okay. um, because they do not fit into societal norms and societal timing. But are they? No. Okay. They'll, if you, one of the questions I like to ask people is, you know, how do you, how and when do you sleep on vacation when you have minimal obligations? Mm -hmm. And they're like, I sleep fine. I go to bed at three in the morning. I wake up at noon and, and I fall asleep fine. I wake up fine. I feel fine during the day. But when you pull them back into the real world where they have a job to get to that starts at eight in the morning, then they have serious problems. Um, and it's quite the struggle. And it's, it's actually quite a difficult disorder to treat. So I, when I say it intrigues me, it does intrigue me. When I say that it's fun to treat, it's not fun to treat because it's, it's tough. These, these are biological phenomena that are, that are hardwired into people. Um, you have to sort out people who just do it as a preference because they like to be up at night and they like to be alone in their house when everybody else is in, in bed and have some alone time. That's a preference. Preferences are easily changed. But the true disorder is a biological disorder that actually is genetic in its origin. Um, and, and those are tough cases to, to crack. Uh, you know, and, and clearly one of the things that I start with with people is that if you have the option of getting a second shift job, take a second shift job. Oh. All right. You can okay. fall asleep yeah. after you're home at two o'clock in the morning. You can sleep till noon and be ready to go the next afternoon uh, when you're due back at work. The, along the same lines. This often starts in, in adolescence. Um, and a lot of adolescents kind of, you know, play around with things because they don't, they're not, they're not uh, always rule followers. Yeah. Um, and they like to play around with rules and break rules. And so they play around with their sleep schedule. And then sometimes they, they get themselves into a pattern of this delayed phase and they can't get themselves out of it. Um, and that's, that's real. Parents sometimes look at it as them being obstinate or, or lazy. Mm -hmm. uh, when in fact it's more biologically determined. And, and the point I need to make here is that it's very tough getting through the high school years because they're always late for school or skipping school um, because they can't get up in the morning. And my advice to them is go to college and, <laughs> and start, your, start your schedule at noon. <laughs> You've got control over yeah. it at that point. Um, don't set yourself up for failure by trying to fit yourself, fit this square peg into this round hole here that we say is normal. Right. Um, identify what you, what this uh, disorder is called again, delayed phase sleep disorder. Okay. Delayed phase sleep disorder. Yeah. Um, 
as you're describing this, I'm thinking, is this more prevalent now because of cell phones, video games, tablets, our kids, you know, uh, go to your room, keep the door closed, and then they're they're up all night texting their friends or doing anything. Is this, no, is this as increasing? That, as I said, that's really choice. It's Those are choices. Choice, okay. And you, if, okay. If, you, if you're, as a parent, if you're rigorously removing technology and, and keeping an eye on your child and, and practicing good sleep, make, helping them practice good sleep hygiene, they'll probably fall into a normal pattern. But then okay. there's some small percentage of those kids in this case who can't do it. They have the disorder. After, after you practice all the good sleep hygiene stuff and they still struggle with this thing, then you might be looking at this delayed phase disorder. And this is more of a, like a biological wiring type issue. Yeah, it's really um, fascinating. There's, there's a lot of genetic research that's um, come out in the last five years that says um, that there's a, a malfunction in, in a certain protein that uh, controls the timing of, of sleep in these people that uh, calls the shots on, on what they can and can't do. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it needs to be distinguished there. And again, it gets to your to your theme of normality here. We all have a preference for what we sleep people call morningness or eveningness. Okay, we have night owls that oh, I like to stay up to midnight and sleep till eight. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. I like to go to bed at ten and get up at six. That's me. Okay. okay. Yeah. Early bird <laughs> um, gets the worm. That's okay. Um, that's within the realm of normal. And uh, there may be a genetic basis to that. There's a familial basis to that. It tends to run in families, but uh, it's not at the extreme where, where they really can't adjust themselves when they get a job that requires them to be there on mm -hmm. the early side of things. These people who have the delayed phase disorder really can't adjust, and it's um, it's an extreme struggle for them. We gotcha. One more area I'd like to go to is um, segmented sleep. I read an article a few years back about the, you know, in the 1600s before uh, basically electricity, people slept for say two or three hours and then they would have a waking period where the article said people would uh, pray or meditate or fornicate um, and then go back to sleep until the sun would rise. Okay. Um, is there, do you have anything to say about that type of thing? Uh, and the reason I'm asking is because I'm looking for some sort of benefit for me taking That's several good. naps a day. <laughs> is there any, is, is, is it possible? Uh, and and, and um, also this, this goes into, um, I've always heard you cannot catch up on sleep. If you've lost sleep, you can't catch it up. It's not like a, a number um, that, okay, I'm going to sleep extra today. So that way I made up for yesterday. Okay. We got a lot to talk about here. <laughs> uh, I'll start with the most recent thing, catching up on sleep. You know, it's just not a one-to-one -one thing. Okay. So you sleep, you only get four hours of sleep one night. Don't expect you to get 12 the next night to, mm -hmm. to compensate for that. You'll probably sleep better, deeper, a little bit longer. All right. So there is, there's some degree of catch up that happens, um, but not one for one, nor does it, you know, it doesn't last a long time. It's usually the next night effect. Okay. Um, so, so that's, that's the main thing to, to keep in mind with that. When it, when you talk about segmented sleep, it's, it's a fascinating topic. Quite a while ago in the world of sleep, there was, there was some proponents for what, what they called core sleep versus optional sleep. But the first part of your night being core sleep 
um, taking care of the physiological restoration that's supposed to happen um, with sleep. And the second part being optional sleep, which is, eh, it's nice if you can get it. Makes you feel good. Okay. Well, that's kind of been replaced. So don't, don't, uh, uh, don't, don't ride that wave. Um, <laughs> the, uh, because the core sleep is okay. Yes. The first part of the night is, is our deeper sleep and it's what uh, helps us restore physiologically. But as I said earlier, the second part of the night, which we used to call optional is now kind of seen as cognitive restoration. All right. So okay. you don't want to yeah. miss out on the second part of your night, oh, which yeah. is to restore your brain activity. So when it comes to someone like yourself, okay, or, or shift workers in general, basically, I think they should grab sleep when they can get it. Mm-hmm. All right. And now, obviously, the longer the sleep period, the better off, because the, the benefits of sleep come from these cycles that I talked about earlier. All right. The more cycles you can get, the, the, the better off you are. And just to reiterate, that's about a 90 minute cycle is what we're yes. looking for. Yes. A little bit longer in kids. Okay, about 110 minutes in kids. Adults are, are pretty much around the 90 minute mark. Um, that's why when you hit your snooze button in the morning, it feels good. It's it's pretty worthless what you're getting, all right? Because it's just like seven more minutes or five more minutes, and, mm-hmm. and then you're up again. That's that's definitely in the optional category. Um, but segmented sleep is interesting. There are, I guess I would look at it this way. It's overly optimistic to think that you're going to lay your head down on the pillow at 11 o'clock and not wake up until seven in the morning. Mm-hmm. All right. It doesn't happen. Okay. There's too many things going on in your body and in the environment that can wake you up. When I said earlier that sleep was defined as a perceptual disengagement from the environment, that's very strong in the first part of the night and, and very weak in the second part of the night. All right. So mm-hmm. people who fall asleep with the TV on, it's fine. You can sleep through a TV in the first hour or two. Okay, and your brain doesn't register the light, your brain doesn't register the sound. But you move in the second part of the night, your brain hears things, your brain sees things, and it causes these little awakenings that you're not quite aware of, but they disturb the quality of your sleep. So assuming that you're not going to have eight solid hours, and there might be a break somewhere in there, there's nothing really wrong with with segmenting that um, and getting up and doing something, doing something now, it depends, okay? If you're on a normal nighttime sleep schedule and, and you're on a daytime work schedule, you do want to get as much sleep as you can during, during the nighttime hours because you can't sleep once the workday starts. So you want to wake up in the middle of the night. If you wake up in the middle of the night, you want to do something rather boring, rather monotonous, not overly stimulating because you don't want this awakening to be two hours, right? But if it's a half hour, okay. And then you feel yourself getting drowsy again, you go back and you, and you get a second piece of it mm-hmm. so you know again that's part of what i think is is understanding what's normal so that we don't freak out with a, a middle of the night awakening and think oh my god i'm, I'm screwed here i'm not gonna i'm only gonna have to get through my work day with four hours of sleep and it's gonna be awful maybe i take a break in the middle of the night and then mm-hmm. maybe i go back and get three more hours that kind of adds up to seven and and that's minimally okay for me so it's it's not something to shoot for but it's also not something to um avoid and, and freak out about uh, if, if it happens to be the pattern that that you're in now shift worker shift workers are fascinating because um <laughs> they got a lot to deal with um uh, because you're if if you are up and it your 24 48 hour schedule mm-hmm. is a little bit different than normal shift workers but you're you're generally coming home in the morning at seven or so and 
you're putting yourself to sleep during the phase of the circadian rhythm that says, wake up. Ah. There's two variables that control sleep. It's called the two-factor model of sleep. Not to get too technical here, but the two-factor model of sleep says two things. One, you are sleepy based on how long it's been since your last episode of sleep. That's the first thing. Okay, so today at, at eight o'clock tonight, I will be sleepier than I am right now because I've been, it's been a long time since my last episode of sleep. Okay. That's called your homeostatic drive for sleep. The second is the circadian drive for sleep or more technically the circadian drive for wakefulness, which means that sleepiness and wakefulness is controlled by these rhythms that are, that are invisible, but that function in all of us. So to get back to the shift worker, the shift worker has been up all night. It's been a long time since their last episode of sleep. So they should be really tired mm-hmm. and they are, and they come home, but they're putting themselves to bed just when the circadian rhythm for wakefulness is kicking into full gear. So it's swimming upstream, which is why most shift workers can get three hours, maybe four hours, mm-hmm. and then they start to have trouble. Yeah. So they, they have some power in their body for sleepiness based on this homeostatic drive for sleep. It's been a long time since they've been awake, but they are fighting against this circadian drive for wakefulness and the circadian drive for wakefulness often wins um, mm-hmm. after about three hours of, of decent sleep in the morning. So it's a, it's a tough battle. So to continue that point, that's why I think shift workers should have another chunk of sleep as they get closer to their start time. Again, okay. it doesn't apply well to your situation, but a normal shift worker, another chunk of sleep in the, in the late afternoon, early evening hours, because then they're going into work having just woken up and having some sleep under their belt recently. Okay. Right. If you look yeah. at, at someone who has a normal nine to five job like myself, um, I sleep all night, I get up and then I go to work. So I have eight hours of sleepiness in my system, excuse me, eight hours of sleep in my system um, that lets me hit the road running and, uh, and do well throughout the day. What you don't want to do as a shift worker is sleep in the morning from eight till noon, then be awake for eight hours, then go to work and expect to be awake for another eight hours. That's expecting too much of the human body. Yes. <laughs> we'll just leave, uh, we'll just leave everything. Uh, I, like you said, you, you're familiar with it. I'm sure you've dealt uh-huh. with uh, people with 24 hour schedules and uh, uh-huh. the shift workers and whatnot. So uh, I'm sure you understand just as well as I understand. Just not, just not currently. <laughs> right. Um, so let's sum this up. Um, eight hours, give or take an hour or two is normal, average. You can wake up more than once in the middle of the night. And as long as you're able to fall back asleep, not really an issue. Mm-hmm. Correct. Well, I would, I would add to this as, as, a, as a precaution that these things do change with age. So, okay. You know, if your audience is, is mostly adults, yes, that's what we're talking about. But okay. when we talk about kids, they need much more sleep. When we talk about adolescents, they need more sleep. Okay. Um, important point, older people, define that however you want, older people need about as much sleep as, as adults do. So there's a misconception out there that old people don't need as much sleep or we need less sleep as we get older. That is not true. Okay. It's just the sleep becomes a little bit trickier 
as we get older uh, because there are a lot of medical conditions and medications that interfere with good sleep. So the quality of sleep tends to go down, but the quantity in terms of the need for sleep does not go down as we get older. Okay. At what point in time should somebody seek help for their sleep? I don't usually say this, but I'll, I'll say it now. Um, everybody should try the basic components of good sleep hygiene and try them rigorously and try them for a while before they go see a doctor about this. That's, I guess what I'm talking about is people having trouble falling asleep or staying asleep, your basic insomnia patients. Mm -hmm. um, there is very, there's a great deal of validity to these tips for sleep yeah. that we all read about. Top 10 tip, tips for sleep, okay? Right. Get rid of technologies, establish a consistent sleep-wake schedule, avoid caffeine, avoid alcohol, et cetera. They're very valid. They're out there so much that people tend to dismiss them as I, I, I did that, didn't work. Right. I venture to say that most people say I tried that and didn't work. A, tried it for a night or two. <laughs> that sounds about um, right. Because that's the American way is, you know, you know, if it's not a, a quick fix, then it must not be worth its weight. Um, and also didn't try them in unison with each other. Try them all at the same time. You try that stuff for, for two weeks solid to commit yourself to it. And you are very likely to, to resolve or significantly improve your, your sleep problem. Um, and people don't do that because there's a strong push for quick fixes. As I said, there's mm -hmm. a strong push for sleep medicines, um, mm -hmm. which are out there. Okay, there's a lot of medicines out there for sleep. They're not bad. Um, they just need to be used cautiously and they need to be used for short periods of time. Mm -hmm. All right. They do not and should not be used chronically day after day, night after night, year after year. They're not made that way and, uh, and they cause problems accordingly. So that's what I would say in terms of your insomnia type patients. When you should see a doctor for other things, basically, I mean, the, the biggest thing that we see in sleep centers is sleep apnea, which is a breathing disorder during sleep, characterized by loud snoring and pauses in, in breathing and gasping for breath throughout the night. That's a serious matter. It's, it uh, obviously ranges from mild to severe. It causes severe problems with cardiovascular function, uh, definitely plays a role in heart attacks and strokes. That's something that if you have the key signs and symptoms, you should go talk to your doctor about it immediately. And that sleep apnea, it's a serious risk. It's very serious. Um, and, you know, we uh, as a society tend to laugh at people who snore. Okay, somehow it's funny. Mm -hmm. um, it's not funny. It's usually a sign of a significant problem. And it, it, on the one hand, you're getting terrible sleep. Okay, so you're, you're likely to feel bad. When I, and when I say apnea, apnea is an episode of disturbed breathing that lasts about 10 seconds. It lasts at least 10 seconds, sometimes much longer. When I say that, it's not like you have two or three of these a night. Most people who have the problem will have 100, 200, 300, 400, 500 of these episodes per night, with each one ending in an awakening. Mm. All right. So you can imagine if you have 200 times throughout the night that you're having minor awakenings, you're getting mm. poor light sleep throughout the entire night puts a tremendous toll on your body and on your cardiovascular system and can cause some very serious health problems. So it's not something to laugh at. It is something to do something about. There's effective treatments out there. Um, and uh, that's when you should talk to your doctor about uh, uh, what can be done. Gotcha. Is there, um, do you have any suggestions on uh, where people could go to find out more information or do you have any, uh, any links or anything like that? If people want to learn more? Um, 
the two things I fall back on, there's something called the National Sleep Foundation, which has a, a whole uh, variety of um, articles and uh, uh, videos on different uh, sleep disorders. So National Sleep Foundation, it's very easy to, to find. The other one, which is, you have to dig a little bit deeper, but it's excellent. It's called Harvard Healthy Sleep. Harvard Healthy Sleep. And if you, okay. if you just Google it, uh, it pops up, Harvard Healthy Sleep. And it's it's got fascinating stuff. It's it's very easy to read. Um, it's extremely informative about the nature of sleep, the importance of sleep, sleep apnea, very good stuff. So those, those are two things that I tend to fall back on uh, to, uh, to guide people toward. Sounds good to me. And then do you personally, do you have any final words, any uh, words of wisdom before we uh, take off here? Words of wisdom, not really. I think it's it's interesting to me that I've been doing this for decades now. That's a hard thing to say, decades. <laughs> um, but I talk to people all the time, all right? And, you know, we all know what it takes to, to have good health or to move towards good health these days. We need to, uh, we need to exercise. We need to watch what we eat. We need to lose weight. What I'm advocating is sleep, okay? Mm -hmm. Why should I have such a hard time getting this message to people to sleep more? Okay, isn't it an inherently pleasurable thing? Right, I'm not asking right. you to exercise, to do push-ups, to lift weights. I'm not asking you to not eat donuts and anything else that you might. I'm asking you to sleep. It shouldn't be something that I have to work hard to get people to buy into. Right. So there's something going on in our society which puts sleep as a low priority. And, and what I would say is get it up there to a high priority. Enjoy it, Okay. Um, it's one of the more enjoyable uh, experiences of, of human existence. Um, it's available to you every day of your life. Mm. Don't let other things get in the way of it. Uh, don't let it slip down your priority schedule. And don't wear it as a badge of honor that, oh, I, you know, I can get by on five hours sleep per night. You're only kidding yourself um, uh -huh. if you think that you're okay on a minimal amount of sleep. Those are my final words. And those are great final words. I truly do appreciate all the time you've given me today, Dr. Michael Neeb. My pleasure. It was fun. In closing, I absolutely love Dr. Neeb's final thoughts. I'll quote him one last time. Quote, there's something in our society that puts sleep at a low priority. It's available to you every day of your life. Don't let other things get in the way of it. End quote. Always remember that you can reach out to me on my new website, thisisyournormal.com. Special thanks to Green Tree Media, LLC.com, for making this site possible. Visit them for all your website development needs. Please subscribe, download. Episodes are all available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Social media is also available. This is Your Normal on Facebook. Uh, Twitter handle at This Is Your Norm email this is your normal at gmail.com i'd love to hear from you thank you for listening to this is your normal